Who was Jesus? He was a maverick, a perceived rebel with a cause, a rabbi against the grain of what a rabbi should be. He didn't act like people thought he should, and he didn't associate himself with who people thought he should. He was for the down and for the out, the underdogs, the misfits. It's not just who was Jesus, it's who is Jesus. When he died on a cross for our sins, he rose again three days later. He defeated death. The one who was became the one who is. He's not just a past tense ideal, but a present tense life changer. The past tense inspiration became the present tense king. The past maverick became the present master. He's the way, the resurrection, and the life. He's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world, the true vine. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Jesus and Jesus alone is our true north. Well, oh, all good. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta control my emotions a little bit because I'll tell you what it is. It is just so good to be back. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it's been 140 days since we've been able to gather. And uh, I, I get chills just seeing, seeing people in the rooms across all of our campuses. I know many of you are online and you have a health issue or you, know, you just don't feel comfortable coming back yet. And trust me, that is completely okay. We're so glad you're joining us online. And you come back physically when you feel comfortable. Um, we, we, we want to just ask you to, to be on your timeline. That's completely fine. But I will tell you this. There's nothing like being physically gathered with God's people in, in church. There's something real powerful about it, yeah. And, you know, we, we, wanna, we wanted to, to regather really responsibly, so I wanna thank you for masking up. I wanna thank you for practicing physical distancing. All the safety protocols we have going on, we're, we're very excited about this. Well, hey, this weekend, I'm telling you, I'm like fired up to preach, all right, because we're starting a brand new series and it's called True North. And you know this, right? We're in a culture where everyone's compass is pointed like slightly different directions, right? And what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna find True North. Okay, find True North. Now, theoretically speaking, if you wanted to get to True North, just you know, from a physical standpoint, you would take out a compass. I actually bought a compass this week on Amazon. Highly, highly uh, rated reviews. This is a great compass. And if you wanted to find north, you know, true north, you would just point this thing and get it directly on north if you followed this perfectly. I mean, you didn't move an inch either way, right? I mean, you'd get to true north, right? I mean, the, the most true north physically point in all the earth is actually the North Pole. So if you pointed this north and you didn't move an inch, I mean, you'd end up at true north, right? Did you know if you took this compass and you put it on north and you didn't move one centimeter off of it and kept walking, do you know you would not end up true north? You're thinking, why? Why? Because almost every single compass uses a magnet. And it takes you to magnetic north, not true north. 
What's Magnetic North? Magnetic North is actually a location in Arctic Canada that has iron ore underneath the earth. And so the magnet in the compass directs you to Magnetic North, this point in Arctic Canada, which, by the way, is shifting all the time based on the earth's magnetic functions. And so you know, where it points, Magnetic North shifts, and it also shifts depending on where you're at in the country or the world. The difference between magnetic north and true north can be drastic. For example, if you're in Los Angeles, going magnetic north versus true north is 12 degrees difference. In New Zealand, it's 20 degrees difference. I nerded out this week. I actually looked up the calculation for Phoenix. You're 10 degrees off in Phoenix, magnetic north versus true north. And if you want to test this yourself, this is amazing. Every iPhone, uh, and I don't know if this is true on Android or not, but with an iPhone, your iPhone default sets to magnetic north, uses the magnet in your, in your phone. So you can take out two iPhones, and you can actually go to your settings. There's a setting where you can change it to true north. You have to change the setting. If you take two iPhones, put them next to each other, one of them on magnetic north, one of them on true north, they will point you in two separate directions. They're off. And by the way, I think there's some lessons here that we're going to talk about in the following weeks where, think about it this way, in your life and mine, if we follow the magnetic pole of culture, you will never end up at your true north, ever. But my point is simply this, if you're taking notes, magnetic north almost never, ever aligns with true north, almost never I know what some of you are thinking. Gosh, did you know our pastor was a geographic scientist? This is unbelievable, <laughs> right? No, that's not what you were thinking. Here's what you were thinking. Who cares? I mean, you're, you're pointed generally in the north direction, so whether you're like magnetic north or true north, who cares? Does it really matter? You're still going in the same basic direction. It matters more than you could ever imagine whether you're on true north. Let me give you an example. Let's say you were going to a destination, you needed to get there, and you were just one degree off. Not even three degrees, just one degree off. You're one degree off the direction you needed to head. If you were on an airplane going to a destination and you were one degree off, here's what we know with a fact. You can look this up yourself. After one hour, one degree off, you'd be one mile off your target. But the further you go, being a little bit off, the more off target you go. So after two hours, you'd be two miles off. After three miles, you'd be three miles off. And after four miles, or four hours, you would be four miles off your target. Which you're thinking, not a big deal. Four miles, I can course correct and get back to my target. But imagine living your lifetime, your whole entire life, just not quite on true north. For example, let's say you were headed to the moon, let's say that was an example of your life, and you were just one degree off trying to go to the moon. Most of us know based on this example, you'd miss the moon. But do you know how far you'd miss the moon if you were one degree off traveling to the moon? Here's the exact answer, 4,169 miles you'd be off. So imagine living your lifetime in your life, not quite on your true north. Spiritually, in a marriage, 
with your kids, financially, with your career. And by the way, that's maybe where some of us find ourselves today. We just know we're not quite on true north. And you know what COVID did to so many people, I think? It kind of just took you just a little bit off. You started turning to something. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago that you reached for something familiar? Maybe a substance or, or someone that you knew wasn't good and it just kind of got you a little bit off. And what you need to realize today is that if you're off, it's time to get back on True North. And what we're gonna do in this series is I'm gonna show you how to get to True North and there's a way to get to True North. And here's the summary of the entire four weeks that we're gonna teach on would simply be this. Jesus is the only way to find True North, period. As a pastor, I have felt so passionate that where we're at culturally as a church, we need to get back to focus on Jesus. He's the answer, I'm telling you, to what's going on in our world. And the issue, I think, for so many of us in our world today is there's so much confusion over who Jesus is. And so I wanna, what I wanna do is I wanna focus, laser focus us in on who is Jesus because he is the only one that can get us to true north. And the way we're gonna do that during this series is we're gonna open up the book of John, which, by the way, if you've never read the Bible, this is the perfect book to start in. John was a disciple of Jesus, and John records the words of Jesus for us, and in the book of John, this doesn't happen in any other gospel, what John does is John actually records for us seven I am statements that Jesus made. In other words, Jesus said, you wanna know who I am? Like definitively know who I am? Jesus says seven I am, and then he gives us an answer. Seven of them, and I think the number seven is significant because in the scripture, seven is the perfect number. So I think if you could encompass these seven statements, they would change your life. And so there's seven I am statements in the book of John. What we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on four of them. We'll encompass some of the others, but we're gonna really focus in on four of them to find out and get all of us back on true north. And today... I would tell you this, it doesn't matter if you're not a Christian at all. And some of you, I'm so glad, if you're here today, and some of you, it's your first time on a CCV campus, you're still checking out Jesus, you are gonna know at the end of this series who Jesus is. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, you will have a better understanding of Jesus and you will get back, I believe, to a better true north in your life. And today, to start, I wanna start with the fifth I am statement that Jesus made in John chapter 11, Verse 25, Jesus said this. Jesus said, would you, can we say it out loud together, even if you're online? Say this out loud with me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on to say this. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. This is one of the most definitive and powerful statements that Jesus ever makes about himself. And I think it's as relevant today as it's ever been in our lifetime. And let, let me tell you why I think it's so relevant. What you know and what you feel right now is there is fear and paranoia going on in our world related to COVID-19. 
You see it everywhere. It's fear and paranoia. And as a leader, when I see something impacting our culture so much, what I immediately want to do is I want to peel the onion back and I want to get to the root issue. Have you ever thought about what the root issue is of all the fear and paranoia we have? I have my opinion, and I'm not saying you have to agree with this, but this is just my opinion of what it is. I don't think the issue and the root issue is this. I don't think the issue is either me or someone I love may get sick because of COVID-19. I don't think that's the root issue of the fear. I mean, think about it. People get sick all day, every day. You could walk out and get sick all day, every day. You, you do. What's the issue with COVID-19? The issue is this. Either me or someone I love may die because of COVID-19. In other words, I think the root issue is the fear of death. Maybe, maybe either me or someone I love could die. Sure, we're worried about the economy and we're worried about you know, hospital capacity and case counts and all that other stuff, but if you peel the onion back, I think the issue is so many people are afraid to die. Woody Allen put it this way so eloquently. It's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> I mean, what's he saying so humorously? I'm afraid to die. Which is interesting if you think about it, kind of this fear we have of death, which by the way, all statistics prove this. Most statistics say the only thing people fear more than death sometimes is public speaking. What's I'm doing right now, you know? But it's interesting to think, what about this fear of death? What is it? Because here's what all of us know intuitively. You know this. You know that actually death is natural. Death is going to happen to every single person here today. George Bernard Shaw said it this way. The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. You know that one day will be your last day on earth. It's not very comfortable to think about, is it? It's almost a little bit like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to talk about that. I mean, you're probably not going to get your family together, or you know, if you go on a date after this, or you're probably not going to get together and go, hey, let's talk about how we're all going to die someday. <laughs> and yet, here's what you know intuitively. You know it is 100% true. And into this uncomfortable thing, Jesus speaks and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever believes in me, if they live, as they live, they'll never die. And I think we have to understand this statement. And the way to do it is to really look at the context in which Jesus said it. In John chapter 11, I want to walk you through the story. Jesus says this statement at a funeral. He's at the funeral of a man named Lazarus that he cares about very deeply. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. So Lazarus has two sisters, and Lazarus gets sick. We don't know what from. We don't know how he got sick. We don't know what kind of disease it was. But we know the sickness got bad enough that his sisters felt like they needed to call on Jesus for help. So in verse three, it says this. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. He wasn't there. They sent word to Jesus. Lord, 
the one you love is sick. Now that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, they didn't even use Lazarus' name. They just said, hey, tell Jesus the one he loves is sick. That's how much Jesus loved this man. I had some fun with my kids this week. I got my kids together and I said, if dad said to mom about the three of you, the one he loves is sick, who would you think he's talking about? And man, I had them going. They were like getting all mad and getting all amped up and I just sat back and like laughed for a little bit. But this is what happened. But we know this man was so sick that people were crying out to Jesus to help. And if I can just pause for a moment, I wanna acknowledge that there's many of you here today watching online that you're calling out to Jesus to help you in some regard. Maybe you're not feeling well. Maybe you know a loved one that's sick. Maybe you have deep anxiety. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe economically you're so scared. Maybe you have a marriage that honestly is not going well. And you're calling out to Jesus for help. There's some of you here today that this past week, you got some of the worst news of your life. I'd put myself in that boat a little bit. I honestly was writing this message on Monday and I got a text from someone that you need to understand there's not many people in my life that I love more deep, deeply than this person. And they said, can I come by your office? And I said, sure. And they came in and they began to describe that they had just left the doctor's office and they found a spot and the spot is not good and they may not have a lot of time to live. And I sat there and I just had this pit in my stomach and I just was stunned. But let me tell you what I didn't say back to them. Well, it's gonna come for you someday. I mean, it's just natural, right? I mean, this might just be your time. I didn't say that. The only people that say things like that are people that haven't really experienced death. You know, you watch the movies, and in the movies, when people die, it's always really quiet, it's always really peaceful, their eyes just close, or you know, someone just closes their eyelids, and you're like, oh. I can promise you as a pastor who's been multiple times with people on their deathbed when they took their last breath, I promise you it doesn't happen that way, hardly ever. In fact, even in scripture, scripture's so real with us, the Apostle Paul is talking about what Jesus came to do for us, and here's how he describes death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. What is death? Death is an enemy. It's an enemy. So how is Jesus able to defeat this enemy? Hold that thought. I wanna continue the story of Lazarus. And if you, have a, if you really haven't read it in a while, or maybe you've read it multiple times, I'd encourage you to go back and read all of John chapter 11. But in verses four through 16, what happens is word gets to Jesus that this man he loves so much is sick. And so what does Jesus do? Nothing. He waits. It says he waits two days which is so interesting when you read the story. If you never knew the end of it, I mean, you'd be like, ah. But it just proves to me, if, if you've been waiting, that sometimes God's delays are not God's denials. 
And oftentimes, God is doing something in you, and he's waiting, but he has something so good planned for you. And so what we see is the word comes to Jesus, he waits, and then he finally starts showing up at Lazarus' house, where Mary and Martha are, and we see in verse 17, it says this. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb. He's dead, and he's been dead for what? Four days. Now, this is so significant. Everyone would have known what this meant in Jesus' day. Because in Jewish culture, what the Jewish culture believed is that when you died, your spirit hovered over your body for three days. But after three days, it's gone. It's over. You're dead as a doornail. No hope to be found. And so when Jesus shows up on day four, what are they thinking? Jesus, you're too late. It's done. You missed your opportunity. If I could put it in modern day terms, it would be like some of us, we have a wayward child and we've chased him for so long and it's done. It's not happening. Or your marriage, you've tried healing it for so many years. It's dead. That's how you feel. You've been looking for a new job so long. You've been trying to overcome anxiety for so long. It's dead. You've given up hope. It's day four. By the way, this is where everyone was with Lazarus. Everybody. And into this environment, we get to see, based on Mary and Martha's and everyone's responses, we see there's typically two common responses when you experience pain or loss. And here's the the first response, it's really, really big. Their first response is this. Well, if Jesus would have shown up in, the, in my past, he could have saved what I lost. If Jesus would have showed up back there, the marriage wouldn't be dead, child wouldn't have gone off, I'd be better off right now. If Jesus would have done something in my past, watch how clear this is. When Jesus shows up, Martha says this, right to him when he shows up. Martha says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd what? If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary shows up, what's Mary say? Exact same thing. Mary reached the place where Jesus had, saw him, fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd shown up in my past, we wouldn't be dealing with this. Thanks. You can just feel the, the anger in them. Even the people around them, not, didn't even like, not even related to Lazarus. Listen to what they said. They said, well, look at this. I mean, they said, could not he, who's that's Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind men. He's been healing people like crazy. Why didn't he do it for him? If Jesus would have just shown up in the past, he could have saved what I lost. Have you ever been there with God? I would tell you I've been there so many times in my life. Been angry because I thought, God, you could have done something in the past so I wouldn't be dealing with what I'm dealing with in my present. And here's what happens. Jesus replies to this kind of thinking and he says this to Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds kind of the way we would respond when we have a loss or maybe a death. You know how people come up to you and say, well, you're gonna see him one day in heaven. Or you're in pain or you're in loss and someone says, well, guess what? One day in heaven, 
there will be no more pain. There will be more, no more tears. Or let's say, like, you know, you have a big loss. You, maybe you're a pet lover. You, love, you, you lost an animal, or maybe you, your cat died, and someone says, well, guess what? Now the good news is you can buy a dog. You know, you can do that. So <laughs> don't email me, cat lovers, okay? All right, don't email. It's a joke. You know how when someone says something in those situations, it's not, it's not that it doesn't add some level of comfort. It just doesn't add total comfort because you're right in the middle of a loss. And what happens? Right after Martha says this, or Jesus says this to Martha, Martha says this. Martha answered, well, yeah, Jesus. I mean, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. What's she saying? Yeah, I know you didn't do something in the past. You're telling me, you know, she thinks he's talking about the future. So we see a second response we have to loss and pain sometimes. Yeah, Jesus could have done something in the past, but the second response sometimes is, well, I guess Jesus has the power to give me hope someday in the future. I mean, I'm, I'm experiencing a major loss right now. Maybe one day I'll, I'll feel better. Even if it's in heaven, then I'll feel better. This is how we often respond. For those of you that lost a job or a loved one, or a dream. Sure, it can add a little comfort that maybe one day, even if it's off in heaven, Jesus can restore your life. But isn't it true, and don't you just hope, even just a little bit, that Jesus can bring hope, not in the future, but for your today? Don't you hope that Jesus isn't just powerful enough that he could have done something in the past. Sure, he can do something in the future. Don't you hope Jesus can give hope and life to you today? Well, I want you to listen to Jesus' response to this attitude, to the attitudes of, you could have done something in the past. Sure, I think you can do something in the future. Into both of these responses, Jesus weighs in with one of the most weighty I am statements he makes. And he says this, that, this is when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's when he says it, based on these responses. And then he asks the million dollar question. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Not that I am the God of yesterday, and not that I'm the God of tomorrow, but that I have the power to bring resurrection and life to you today. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say, I can be the resurrection one day. He says what? I am the resurrection and the life. I am. And in that moment, you know what Jesus does? To prove it, he raises Lazarus from the, from the grave. And when he's getting ready to do it, you know what happens? Go back and read the story. He asks for the stone to be rolled away, and everyone begs him, don't roll the stone away. Do not do it. That dude is dead. And if you read the King James Version, they say this, he stinketh. <laughs> That's really what it says. Don't do it. That dude is dead. There's no way you can revive that thing that's dead. You have anything in your life that stinketh? 
I mean, it's been dead for so long. The dream is dead. Jesus cannot revive it. It stinketh. Jesus walks into that situation and he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am today. Here's what Jesus is telling us. His response to our pain and loss is this. Jesus proves the resurrection isn't a future possibility. The resurrection can be a present reality in your life and in mine. Why? (laughs) Because Jesus specializes in bringing dead things back to life. It's not what he does. It's who he is. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what Jesus is saying is that anywhere I step, when I am present in the room, when I step into the room, dead things will come back to life. Do you believe? That's a big question because our belief has a part to play in what Jesus is and what his power can do. And this is so big for someone here today. This is so big for someone here today because you're not sure Jesus can bring that dead thing back to life. I wanna ask you a question. If Jesus steps in the room and everywhere he steps, he brings dead things back to life, he's the resurrection of life. Where does Jesus reside today? We'd say he's, he's in the building. That's why we're, that's why we're regathered as church because man, Jesus, Jesus is not in a building. Well, he's in heaven. I mean, he's in heaven. He rose again. Jesus is not even in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, Think about this. Let this sink in. Where does Jesus reside today? Where? He resides in you. Think about the implications of this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is in you. Jesus is the Spirit. Holy Spirit is inside of you if you've given your life to Jesus and gone all in and been baptized. You have that same power. Which means I wanna get up in someone's grill here today. That means that same power that you think something's dead. It stinketh, Jesus, you can't go there because you can't touch it. That dream you think is dead, Jesus can revive it. The thing in your heart, your heart feels dead. You know what some of you feel? You feel so spiritually dead, you wanna know why? Because some of you are here today and you've never gone all in with with Jesus and you know what holds you back? You've messed up so bad. I mean, you've done something you haven't even told anybody, and you think there's no way Jesus could come and restore my life. I've, I've messed up too bad. Wrong. I am the resurrection and life, and there's no caveat. Some of you have a marriage here today, and it is dead in your eyes. Not in God's. Some of you have a job and you're at a dead end. Jesus can break through and bring life. He can do it. I think COVID has been particularly hard on singles. And I wanna talk to someone who's a single here today. 
and you're so lonely. It's been so long. Jesus is the resurrection and life. And if you invite him in, you better believe he can give you hope and restoration and life today. I don't care what desert you're in, he can bring you life. How does he have that power? For those of you that are new, Jesus has that power because he is the only person on earth to come and live a perfect life, to die three days later, raise again from the dead, and he has the power to restore anything at any time in your life, I don't care who you are. He has the power. He's the only person that's ever risen from the dead. That gives him the power. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead exists inside of you if, if you've given your life to Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the resurrection and life. He is true north. And what some of you know is that you've had a season where you've just been off true north. You've turned to something else. You've turned to someone. You've turned to something. And what God is gonna call you to do today is to get back to true north. And if you've never gone all in with Jesus here today, I wanna challenge you to take that step. It's a free gift. You don't get your life in order first. You just decide to follow Jesus, period. You can take that step to make Jesus the Lord of your life and get baptized and you'll have the power of Jesus in your life today. And you can do that today. You can talk to one of our pastors. If you're watching online, you can text the word peace to 72020. We will help you take that step. So Jesus becomes your resurrection in life. But I wanna talk to a follower of Jesus here as well. You've forgotten that Jesus can bring anything back to life. And it's time for you to get back to true north and to trust him again. And you know, a great way that we do that every week to remember who Jesus is is we take communion. We take a piece of bread and a cup of juice, represents Jesus' body that was broken for us on a cross, his blood that was shed for us. And it's the body and blood that give us the power. It's his death and resurrection. And so if you're at home watching online, you can get a, some juice or water or crackers to take communion. If you're here in one of our campuses, we gave you a communion packet on the way in. And I wanna pray in just a moment. We're gonna take communion together after I pray. And I want you to listen to a song during communion that I think may be the perfect song to talk about what Jesus does, that he brings, brings dead things back to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you do through Jesus. As we take communion, we wanna remember, no matter who we are today, that God, you can come into our lives and get us back on true north and really revive us, bring us back from the dead. Whether that's the death of you know, a dream or whether we think our marriage is dead. Father, there's someone here today that they feel spiritually dead because they've never followed you, they've never gone all in, they've never gotten baptized. And I pray that you inspire them today, that it's time, it's time to get back to true north for all of us. Inspire us to remember who you are when you said, I am the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name, and all of us said, amen.